what's up? Today's episode is about the knees. This is Open House Podcast with James Tatum. This podcast is about conversations we have in the gym. Everything from training methods, technique, massage, and other odd topics that come up. So be sure to subscribe, review, comment, all those things. They are greatly appreciated. They help us out a lot. So getting right into it. The knees are a big part of weightlifting and just general working out. And you see a lot of information about it out on the internet. And it's kind of hard to decipher your way through all of the crap on the internet. But um, maybe we'll try to clarify some of these issues. So to start off with, knee valgus. That's when your uh, knee kind of collapses in. And generally, that's considered kind of a bad thing. So let's kind of get into it. Like, why is it a bad thing? Uh, so the, the main thing is it puts pressure on your MCL, which is your uh, ligament kind of right on the inside of your knee. So if the knee collapses in, that ligament gets stretched. Uh, it also puts some strain on the ACL, which is the uh, anterior cruciate ligament. And that's like on the inside of your knee. That kind of helps with letting your knee not hyperextend. And you know what? There's actually this video that's going around right now of this guy doing a sissy squat on like a little sissy squat pad. And that's kind of where your shins are just straight vertical. And then you just hinge at your knee and you just go straight back. Some people bend at the hips as well. Uh, This individual was, they had like a a 45-pound plate on their chest and they were keeping their hips extended and they were just bending at their knees till they were going all the way down. And they get all the way down till their body's about a parallel. And then you can see the muscle, the quad, really starting to contract to change directions to start coming back up. And then, pop, you could see a very clear separation where it looks like the knee like gets dislocated. And pretty much what happens is it was probably a uh, ACL rupture. You know, the muscle couldn't handle the load. And then the ACL was kind of at its limit. And it just had too much on there, and it just popped. And uh, not so good for the knees. So that was a pretty gruesome video. If you're squeamish, you probably shouldn't want to watch it. And probably a good lesson about sissy squats, you know, going all the way back. You know, maybe you shouldn't max out on a sissy squat, uh, which is probably good advice. The, uh, well, so this is one thing. So probably maxing out on a sissy squat is not a good idea. But there's another good thing to keep in mind when it comes to knees and the body and adaption. What you do, your body is going to adapt to it. And it's going to get stronger at what you do repetitively. That is kind of true to a large extent unless you overdo it. So, for example, you know, doing sissy squats, if you did them all the time, your knees and your tendons would adapt and get stronger. But then if you push it too far, you kind of run into that risk of injury. And there are certain injur- certain exercises that will put you at higher risk than other exercises. So, for example, knee valgus has been talked about that. That one hasn't been brought up in a while. But I remember there was like, I won't bring up their names just so I'm not talking crap about these different physical therapists. But there was like an argument between two physical therapists 
And one of them was kind of saying, oh, yeah, Neve Valgus is fine. This other PT is an idiot. And then the other PT was like, oh, no, Neve Valgus is bad. You shouldn't use heavier weights until you fix this Neve Valgus or you're going to die. I don't know. He was kind of exaggerated, but it's it's all clickbait stuff. So they, uh, they're just making their points very strong and opinionated so that people look at their stuff. But they both had good points, and you know that is true with uh, with knee valgus and squatting. So somebody squatting down, if they if they use the bar and their knees come in during that squat, like right away, it's probably not good. You know that they're just starting out with very little weight, and it's uh it's not uh not good long term. But if their knees come in on it's like a max attempt, and they are very well rehearsed weightlifter the risk of injury is probably pretty low. Somebody that I used to use as an example for this was this guy named Heisen Paluka, and he trained under Ivan Abijayev, and he was a 77-kilo lifter. In training, he snatched like 166 and clean and jerked 211 or something, and he would have knee valgus in the pull. So like when he would pull the bar off the floor, his knees would collapse way in. And then when he would catch the squat, his knees would collapse way in. It looked really wild. But he never had never had any knee injuries. The thing that ended his career was um, multiple failed drug tests because he was working with Ivan Abjaev. So, you know, obviously maxing out three times a week, the only way you can recover from that is performance-enhancing drugs. Um, maybe the performance-enhancing drugs had a little bit to play in with, you know, why he was... Uh, able to recover from maybe constant knee valgus, but also the kid started lifting when he was um, super young. There's some videos of him on YouTube. I don't know what age it is, but he looks like he's like eight or nine. And again, he's he's just in that uh, Eastern European system. He's not going heavy, but his technique looks spot on. And he still has that knee valgus thing even when he was a kid. And then he continued to have that knee valgus when he was an adult. And keep in mind, his program was very specific snatch clean and jerk pulls squats he didn't do one of the other things he didn't go running he didn't do jumps he didn't do single leg squats he did yeah the bulgarian system was literally snatch clean and jerk front squats and pulls and they go heavy often so he didn't have any of these other things that could have potentially put him at more risk because of that knee valgus so for example if you're running and your foot makes contact on your stride and your knee collapses in you're going to be slower, you know, because it's, it's, uh, you, you just taken away that support and there's another like spring that's, you know, not springy enough because your knee's collapsing in and, you know, repetitive running with knee collapse is very, uh, well studied to cause ACL issues and knee issues. So, you know, there's definitely some, uh, some merit to that if you're a weightlifter and you're just doing weightlifting you don't want to be able to do anything else you probably shouldn't let your knees collapse in if you're just a weightlifter knees collapsing in isn't the end of the world especially for Heisen Palooka's individual circumstance because his body adapted to his needs but his knees were very narrow meaning that they were only weightlifting so I'm not really taking a strong point here with this, I'm just kind of explaining why some weightlifters have knee valgus and why it's not the end of the world for them, why their ACLs don't just explode on the competition stage left and right. 
um, like some people would make them make you think would happen. But to get to a general recommendation, I would say that you would want to limit the amount of knee valgus that you do in training to keep your knees generally healthy. A good test for this is to, uh, if you're, if you're squatting down and your feet are turned out about 15 degrees, you should be able to see your big toe at the bottom of the squat. Or if you're looking directly straight at your foot, your, your knee should be tracking over your toes. You know, if it's on the inside of the big toe, you know, that's coming into some knee valgus. Um, if it's on the outside, uh, you know, there was a few people, uh, nobody really great at weightlifting, but there was one CrossFit coach person that was really promoting knees outside of toes. And it, uh, it didn't make a lot of sense either. I don't think that they were going to push themselves into injury, but, uh, it, uh, I would never really recommend that. It just seemed kind of like an odd thing to do. Maybe you're limiting, limiting strength when you're pushing your knees out so far, instead of just focusing on the squat. But, uh, I guess that would, that would, I don't think you would be hurting yourself with pushing the knees out past the toes on the outside, but, uh, in general, you know, the knees over the toes is kind of where you want to go. Uh, and one guy even kind of made his old business plan around knees over toes. And I looked at his stuff and I, uh, I used some of it just to try it out. And, uh, it was, you know, it was pretty good stuff. You know, it wasn't anything revolutionary, uh, he took a lot of the things that Charles Poliquin did with, um, you know, exercises and structural balance and kind of made it his own and just put his own twist on it and just marketed it very well to a very specific clientele, meaning people who want to train their knees and to get healthy knees. And it's good stuff. Um, there were some interesting things, interesting differences between how he and Charles Poliquin advertised it. So Charles Poliquin did the structural balance. He did a lot of these knees over toes type split squats. He would just call them split squats. This knees over toes guy, he calls them uh, like ATG split squats, like uh, the Astagrass split squat, which it's uh, the main differences is you're in a split position and you're kind of going forward and backward, kind of like an Ella, uh, like an escalator type movement where the traditional split squat is more of like a, like an up and down type movement. So an elevator. So the knees over toes split squat and Charles Poliquin, the way he taught it was to kind of let your knees come forward so that you're gliding down at almost a 45 degree angle and then pushing back up in that same direction. And it really kind of puts the uh, ankle at an end range of motion and the knee at an end range of motion, which getting strong at end ranges of motion is really useful. And you're just getting strong through that full range of motion. We have these two differences of Poliquin and knees over toes guy, and they're about the same. Uh, the biggest difference is like their their method of prescribing weight. So Charles Poliquin was a big uh, like rep max kind of person. He would always have people do like a um, you know three sets of ten or three sets of eight to ten, so a rep range. And if you got all three sets of ten, that means that you went too light. Uh, cause the rep range was three sets of eight to 10. So you should pick a weight where you can't get 11 reps. 
So it's almost pretty much a 10 rep max. And as long as you get eight reps, you're still within that right weight. If you get if you drop down to seven, that means you went too heavy. So set one might look like 10 reps, set two might be 10 reps, and set three is eight. You're good. If set one is 10, set two is eight, and set three is seven, you went too heavy or your work capacity kind of sucks. Maybe you didn't eat enough before training or you didn't do take the right supplements that Charles Poliquin was trying to sell you. Then, uh, so that system works really well, and I like that one a lot. Uh, the problem with it is, unless you have somebody there like Charles Poliquin or somebody intimidating to kind of like push you to where you want to um, kind of impress this person, the system doesn't work really well for most people because most people don't know how to work hard, they don't know the real limits of how much they can push themselves which is just kind of a you know a, a sad truth uh well maybe not even sad it's just uh it's just an observation that uh, just some people haven't experienced pushing themselves so if you get a wrestler a wrestler knows how to push themselves and they'll go hard now on the other hand and this is even in the athletic world so you know general population is just you know even a different level if you get a um, a baseball player most baseball players don't work hard in the gym. You know, I will say there was a guy that came into my gym and he was a baseball player and he worked very hard. Uh, and he was one, actually one of the harder working athletes that I've had in the gym. But as a general consensus, baseball players tend to be a little bit more skill oriented and they don't work as hard in the gym. So just the difference between these two different types of athletes is uh, is significant and then the differences that you're going to get in general population is going to be even more extreme so the knees over toes guy what he did is um, he gave people just like external hmm, how do i even word this external uh, loading parameters so he would say oh for this exercise you want to be able to 100 percent of your body weight on a bar on your back for 10 reps and that's like the goal to work for. So for a split squat, I think that's what it was for a split squat. So you've you've got your your ATG split squat, and you got 100% of your body weight. Let's say you weigh 80 kilos, and you put 80 kilos on your back, and you can do a set of 10 uh, with full range of motion in good form. You know that's a sign that you have some pretty good knee stability or um, knee ability, whatever he wanted to call it. Uh, and I will say that uh, that is decently hard for most people. You know, there will be people that will be able to excel beyond that. Uh, then you're kind of coming into like a, uh, you know, a point of diminishing returns, I think, beyond that. So it is really good to have those, you know, those standards. Uh, and I think he had a few other exercises. One was like um, a rhythm squat. You want to do 200% of your body weight for 50 reps in a row, which is quite challenging. Uh and it was good because, you know, for me personally, I don't, I've never really done rhythm squats before. And so once I started messing around with it, it kind of gave me an idea of where to go or what I was capable of. So I think that style is very useful to help you set expectations. You know, ideally, if you can find up and find a nice balance in between the two, that would be ideal, you know, uh, between, you know, rep max method and external, you know, expectations you know, that would be the uh, the ideal world. And, you know, that's where kind of world records kind of come into play. That gives you, uh, you know, you might be going for a one rep max snatch. 
Um, but compared to the entry, the qualification total that you need to go to the world championships or something or national championships, your expectations will be set different. So it's good to know them, but it's also good to have an end goal or an idea of where, of what's possible. And that's kind of the difference between those two systems. So that's not really where I was going at specifically. It was kind of a a tangent about training methodologies that people tend to use for the knees, where the main focus of this podcast is the knees. So I'll go back in towards the, uh, the general knee topic. So there's knee valgus, which is a movement of the knees collapsing in. And there's a couple different, um, you know, mechanical things that go wrong. There's something called like a Q angle. It's pretty much how wide your hips are that kind of play an angle, uh, play a factor into how much of a uh, angle you have at your knee. So, uh, females tend to have a larger Q angle, which means the, the hips are set a little bit wider and the angle of the femur going down the leg is kind of angled in a little bit more than, uh, people who don't have this wide Q angle. You might have to look up a, um, if you, if you're having trouble visualizing this, you might just have to look it up. If you look up Q angle on Google, you know, which I'll do right now. So let's see Q angle hips. I'll just say that. And you go to, uh, you know, that's the first thing that comes up. They get a real good, uh, visual. If you just type that into Google. And so if you have a good, if you have a large Q angle, you have a significantly higher chance of having an ACL injury. I do not have the studies right in front of me, but if you look at any like strength and conditioning textbook, you'll kind of find that in that textbook. Um, my, all my textbooks is actually at the, uh, at the gym right now, which I'm at my house. So I didn't have that resource. I could probably look it up on the internet, but so could you. So moving on from that, those are like the two main mechanical things that are kind of going on with, uh, with the knees. Something else that kind of comes into play is your, um, your ankle flexibility and your hip flexibility. So somebody who has very flexible ankles, their knees will be able to track over their toes a lot further and it will help them be able to get to a deeper squat. Uh, you know, and that's just something that you need to work on. I could go into pretty in depth about how to make your ankles more flexible, but we're going to focus mostly on the knees. We're just going to say, make sure you work on your ankle flexibility there's joint and there's muscular things that you could work on to increase that. And then coming into the hips, I actually have one guy in my gym who has very tight hips and his knees or his, his knees track over his toes, but his toes already kind of turn out quite a bit and that's coming from his hips. So actually the main thing that we do to decrease his knee pain is to stretch his hips out. Uh, and it's just his external rotators of his hip are super tight so even just doing something simple like the pigeon stretch and, you know, some of these other general things that you can find out there, there's a lot of good stuff out there on the internet. Even some of those PTs that I was saying that were, uh, were fighting back and forth only with each other, they both have good stuff out there that if you do what they both recommend, you know, you will probably get healthier knees. So, you know, why are they arguing? It doesn't even really matter, but it, uh, it creates excitement around the idea of physical therapy and knee health and all that stuff. So, you know, whatever, it's good. 
so now coming into more of like the strength stuff. So that's like mobility and and movement type type things. So what you can do to get stronger. So the main muscles around the knee, you know, you got the you got the muscles that attach to let's just call it the, the kneecap. So your kneecap and you got some muscles, the big quad on the outside kind of pulls the kneecap out laterally, that means away from the middle line. And then you got the the other muscle, the teardrop muscle on the inside that kind of pulls it to the inside. So that uh, the vastus lateralis and then the vastus medialis, lateralis outside, medialis inside. And ideally, you want uh, you want those to be kind of pulling equally so that uh, that knee is that kneecap kind of stays right in line and right on track. A lot of people have a stronger vastus lateralis and it pulls the kneecap out to the side. I had a friend like this in high school who uh, he couldn't squat all the way down. He was very tight and he had a strong vastus lateralis. He had a strong squat. You know, he's in high school and he was squatting almost 500. So he was a, he was a strong guy and it was a half squat because we were doing powerlifting and we only had to make the hip crease go below um, the the knee. But I was actually right next to him when we were in wrestling practice and somebody did a takedown on him and he fell backwards and then his uh, his knee dislocated. Uh, and I just kind of saw it right in front of me happen. And it was, again, some people would be disgusted about this, seeing this just like they saw after you watch that video of the guy rupturing his ACL in the video I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you'd be a little weirded out. But really what happened was his kneecap just literally slid over to the side of his knee. So it just, uh, you know, there's a couple of other small ligaments kind of holding everything together and tight, but his the main thing is that VMO was not tight and strong enough to keep his knee tr- directly over in front of his knee. You know, he couldn't keep the kneecap in front of the knee. So it, uh, there was so much tension and force pulling on his vastus lateralis on his quad that it just popped over to the side because he was not strong in that full range of motion. So that's really where that that uh, getting strong through those full range of motion and that ass to grass split squat really come into play because when you're getting in that full depth in that end range of motion in a controlled movement like that split squat in the weight room, that VMO, the vastus medialis, is getting strong and it's getting strong to help that kneecap stay in place so that when you do get in an unpredictable situation like this guy did in wrestling practice, that kneecap can just stay in place. Also, part of the reason it, I think it came out for uh, dislocated his knee for my friend is because he was so tight. His quads were very tight. You know, he had trouble stretching his quads, grabbing his, uh, doing the general quad stretch, bringing his ankle to his butt. So with that in mind, you know, that uh, when you do strengthen a muscle through a full range of motion, the flexibility really sticks a lot better. So keeping, you know, getting to these end ranges of motion and these simple exercises like an ATG split squat are really going to help uh, your knee health in situations that are more unpredictable, like wrestling, uh, basketball, things like that. So I think that exercise is really useful. And uh, I've been using them for Ever since I first went to a Charles Poliquin seminar in 2007, uh, I started using them and had a lot of great results from them. 
Um, so I'm a pretty big fan of those. Uh, so the other main thing that is a is a knee supporter is people have weak hamstrings. So there's two main um, movements that your hamstring do. do. It's, uh, it's knee flexion. So that's like taking your heel and bringing it to your butt. So bending your knee. And your hamstring also does hip extension. So that's, you know, if you're bent over and you stand up, that's hip extension. The 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 hip hinge you know that's that the hamstrings are doing a lot of that movement but a lot of people have weak knee flexors that is actually why i went out and i bought one of the few pieces of machine machine pieces that i have in my gym are hamstring curls i've got two of them i've actually got seated which i guess is not as useful and i've got a line hamstring curl so um i um i don't remember the name brand but you just lay down on it and you uh, you flex your knees up. And, you know, as weightlifters, we get a lot of hip extension work as for hamstrings. Um, but we tend not to get as much knee flexion. You know, the hip extension hamstring work will transfer over, which is good. But knee flexion is another good addition. I also just read, I'm actually reading uh, Glute Lab. I'll be doing a, a review on that whenever I finish that giant textbook of a book by Brett Contras. And he was a... Uh, the section that I read this morning was that uh, people who get stronger at uh, hamstring knee flexion actually tend to sprint faster. So they increase their speed times by adding just that one thing. So it, um, you know, that definitely helps in running. In weightlifting, I think it does have a little bit more to do with uh, just general knee health. Uh, as well, because as weightlifters, we already have pretty strong hamstrings as hip extensors. Um, but getting strong hamstrings as knee uh, flexors is important as well, because there's something called the uh, inhibitory response. And what will happen, and you see this in sprinting, this this is why they think that uh, doing knee flexion is good for uh, sprinters, is your quads get so strong um, but your brain knows that your hamstrings are weak. So the quads extend, but your brain will be like, oh no, your hamstrings are weak. You cannot go at full power. We're only going to let you go this much because this is how much your hamstrings can do because your hamstrings, what they want to do is they decelerate your leg from hyperextending. They decelerate, they protect that ACL from getting to that end range of motion and hyperextending. So the stronger your hamstrings are, your brain knows that, you know, it, you might not even know this, but your brain knows that your hamstrings are strong and it will allow your quads to move faster. And that's when you can run faster. So I don't know if there's anything specific research done like that for weightlifting, but I can't imagine that that wouldn't come into play, especially on exercises like the dip and drive. Um, if your if your hamstrings are weak and your body quad won't let you fully extend at the top of that drive and put all that power up into the bar because your brain is inhibiting your quads from extending because it knows your hamstrings are weak. Because if you extend too fast and you hyperextend your knee, your brain doesn't want that to happen, so it'll protect it. So I think uh, knee flexion work is very important to having healthy knees, and it can help you produce more out of your quads. So 
those are the the big uh, the big hitters with you know kind of with knee health. Uh, and you know, as I read this glute book, um, I was kind of I was kind of hesitant about this glute book, but there are some good things in there. And they were talking about knee health with um, actually glute strength because the glutes actually have a direct influence, um, a direct uh, and and not influence. Uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, direct contact with the knee. So. The glutes attached to the IT band, the iliotibial band. Everybody knows about that, and you're supposed to roll it out with a foam roller and all that crap. Uh, but that IT band goes all the way down the side of the thigh, and it crosses the knee. So it actually, you know, the glutes cross the knee. So it's kind of a uh, an indirect. Most people think glutes is just hips, but it does cross the knee. And, uh, and it's not as direct as how the hamstrings cross the knee. But uh, it... Um, will play a factor in knee stability. Uh, so the the general idea is, this is what uh, Charles Poliquin taught me. So if you're at the bottom of the squat and your knees collapse in kind of below parallel, that's usually a sign that your VMO is weak. Like if your knees are in between your toes at the bottom of the squat, you probably have a weaker VMO if that's where it's collapsing. If you're at like 90 degrees and up and your knees are collapsing, that's a sign that your glutes are probably more to uh, have more of an influence to why your knees are collapsing. So using these different kind of things about like where your knees are collapsing to identify what that main uh, weakness is and why your knees are collapsing. So in recap, we have, you know, maybe we start off where we don't max out on sissy squats. Um, are they a terrible exercise? Uh, I don't think they're a terrible exercise. I think they probably have their value in a certain space. I don't think you should do them too extreme. Maybe the more traditional type sissy squat instead of this, like uh, this machine type sissy squat where your knees stay back. Maybe puts a little bit too much pressure on them. And then... The knees over toes guy in comparison with Charles Poliquin's knees over toes, you know, both good systems, I think, with positive results. Uh, I like the difference between the, the, the rep range and rep max method versus the external expectation kind of model. Uh, they're both valuable, whatever makes you get better. You might even have to go back, switch back and forth, do the, do the 200% of your body weight to give you an expectation and work towards it. And then after you kind of do some of that and you reach that expectation, go back to that rep max type training and maybe even push past those boundaries and see if that helps your performance. But don't push past those boundaries in that sissy squat machine. So after that, we talked about, uh, you know, just the different, uh, the different knee valguses and the Q angle. All good information. You know, we kind of threw a lot at you. If you uh, if you guys have any questions or you want to discuss, you know, knee health some more, um, feel free to reach out. Uh, talk to me about any questions that you have, any specific things, or if you want to, uh, if you think of a different topic you want me to expand on in the podcast, we can do that too. So that is all I've got for you today. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe and leave a review.